Welcome back. We had a week off last week because uh, many folks had spring break with their families. I got to grab a few days with my kids and my wife. That was great, but I am glad to be back here. We are working our way through the things that keep us from being the men that we want to be. We have talked a lot about how there is a societal wound. There is a challenge today. We, we've made the comment, not only is it harder today to be a man than it ever has been, it, it's harder today to become a man than it ever has been because so much is working against us societally as we've drifted from this Judeo-Christian ethic, which has informed so much of uh, the West that we uh, as a society have enjoyed for a while, but that has changed radically over the last decades, and it's increasingly difficult to even know what a man is. The scripture says, act like men. And as I've already mentioned, you want to create a bunch of silence in a room, you ask a bunch of guys to find what a man is, what a man does. It's amazing how many guys don't even know what is a biblical, a right, a real view of manhood. So how can you become that which you don't know what it is? And what many of us are doing is speculating, following ideas put forth by media, maybe by bad models, and it's creating a real problem where we're just becoming what we are, drawing a circle around it and saying we hit the target, and it's not working out so well. So there's a societal wound, there is a father wound, there is uh, a mother wound. We've talked about those in the past weeks, but I want to let you know what I'm going to talk about today, I believe, is the primary reason, no matter what society you live in, no matter what kind of daddy you had, no matter what kind of mom you've got, no matter what kind of world you live in, this is the primary reason that all of us fail as men. There is nothing that uh, contributes to our failure and the problems that our failure causes in others as much as what I'm going to speak about this morning. In fact, the reason our daddies are dysfunctional and our mamas are overbearing and controlling the reason our society is drifting is for the same reason I'm going to say we've ultimately got a problem. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me just start and set that up by reading you something from a guy named Paul Harvey. He wrote this about 12 years ago now, not long after a little event happened in April of 1999 at a little high school called Columbine. And, and you guys remember after the whole Columbine incident with uh, Eric Harris and um, old Dylan up there as they literally went ballistic and brought devastation to that school, that community, and our country, there were a lot of folks who go, here we go again. The problem is a lack of gun control. If there was real good gun control, we wouldn't have events like this that happened. And so Paul Harvey responded to that, and this is what he wrote. He said, for the life of me, I can't understand what could have gone wrong in Littleton, Colorado. If only the parents had kept their children away from the guns, we wouldn't have had such a tragedy. Yes, it must have been the guns. It could have been because half our children are being raised now in broken homes. It could have been because our children get to spend an average of 30 seconds of meaningful conversation each day with their parents. After all, we do give our children quality time. It could have been because we treat our children as pets and our pets as children. It could have been because we place our children in daycare centers where they learn their socialization skills among their peers under the law of the jungle while employees who have no vested interest in the children look on and make sure that no blood is spilled. It could have been because we allow our children to watch, on average, seven hours of television a day, filled with the glorification of sex and violence that isn't fit for even adult consumption. It could have been because we allow our children to enter into virtual worlds in which to win the game. One must kill as many opponents as possible, sometimes in the most statistic way, sadistic ways possible. It could have been because we have sterilized and contracepted our families down to sizes so small 
that the children we have are so spoiled material things that they come to equate the receiving of material things with love. It couldn't have been because our children, who historically have been seen as a blessing from God, are now being viewed as either a mistake created when contraception fails or inconvenience, inconveniences that parents try to raise in their spare time. It couldn't have been because our nation is the world leader in developing a culture of death in which 20 to 30 million, that number has doubled since he wrote this, babies have been killed by abortion. It couldn't have been because we give two-year prison sentences to teenagers who kill the newborns. It couldn't have been because our school system teaches children that they are nothing but glorified apes who have evolutionized out of some primordial soup of mud by teaching evolution as a fact and by handing out condoms as if they were candy. It couldn't have been because we teach our children that there are no laws of morality that transcend us, that everything is relative and that actions don't have consequences. What the heck? The president does what he wants and gets away with it. Nah, it must have been the guns. The reason I read that this morning is because when we start to look at why our nation is the way that it is, why our families are the way they are, why our lives are the way they are, it is lazy and irresponsible to look at society and blame it. It is, it is wrong to look at dad and say it's his fault, all I'm doing is following his steps. It's, 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 um, it's way too easy to blame mom. Now look, I wanted to say this right now, I, I hope you, you know, I hope you've ad- I've identified with your pain. It is a fact that many of us, many of you, have been raised in terrible circumstances, in incredibly abusive environments, and you have never had a good role model. But I want to explain the reason for that lack of good in society and maybe in your dad or your mom. And, and whatever the case, I wanted to say this. Again, bad parents are a fact. We cannot allow them to be an excuse. I, I hope you understand I can relate I've had a number of you come up to me and say, Wagner, it is like you are walking through the story of my life, as I've described the the last couple of wounds that we've been in. But I've also had others come up here and go, hey, here's what's crazy. I I had a really good home. I I grew up, you know, inside our corrupt society in a culture that, that ushered me back towards the things that you say our society has left. And yet my life is still a mess. Why is that? The answer is today. And what we're going to talk about today. The reason we can't really run as men the way that we want to run as men is because there's something else that so easily entangles us that pulls us off course. I'm going to let you watch a not-so-subtle video that gives you a little picture of that. Watch this. I love to run. It's what I do. It's what I am. People are always asking me, Blaine, tell me why you run all the time. My response is always the same. I run because I'm a runner. I haven't always been a runner. A couple years ago, I decided I'd give it a try, so I did what I saw other runners do. I joined the track team. I quickly learned that just being on the track team doesn't make you a runner. I mean, I get out there and run my heart out, but I always seem to fear. Running straight isn't as easy as it looks. I was about to give up when I finally realized what was different about me. I was the only one wearing a watch. That's why I couldn't run. The watch was weighing me down. 
though it was big and weighed a ton, I was kind of attached to my watch. Literally. Couldn't get it off. I have tried before. I tried to pull it off, tear it off, cut it off. I tried many things. I finally just got used to it. I mean, yeah, it hindered my running, but people thought it was cool. I actually made friends because of it. We all have crossroads in life. This was mine. I realized I had a choice. Get rid of the watch somehow, or get out of the race. At that moment, I made the decision. I chose to become a runner. Right then, I heard somebody say, do you want me to take the watch off? This guy was standing next to me. Kind of freaked me out. I guess he knew what was going on. I told him I wanted to be a runner, but couldn't do it with my watch. He asked me again, do you want me to take off the watch? I said yes. He smiled and somehow managed to take it right off. My life since then has been all about running. I mean, I'm running now in a way I never thought I could before. I still stumble at times, but I never fall. I have a passion for running I never dreamed I would have. I owe a lot to that guy who freed me from my watch or shackles or whatever you want to call it. I sometimes wonder what he did with my watch. I do know this, what he did set me free. My name is Blaine and I'm a runner. All right, as I said, it's uh, not such a subtle way to get what I think is the greatest wound that affects all of us. You know, the watch is a decent metaphor because what you look at, what you, what you watch, what you model, what you look to for direction is the thing that's going to really establish your course, or in this case, pull you off course. There is a way that seems right to man, a way we watch, a way we look, a way we to tell others what time it is and, and, and get a bearing of where we are. There's a way that seems right to men, but in the end, it's the way of death. And when you have a leader whose way is not the right way, you have got destruction and fear and insecurity and devastation all underneath. Proverbs 29.2 says this. It says that when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, people groan. And I think... When we look around our world today, we hear a lot of groaning. And the reason we hear a lot of groaning is because those that are called to lead are watching the wrong thing. They're looking to the wrong source to know what time it is. How do I know what to do now? Because we're looking to ourselves, or we're looking to broken leaders, models that themselves are wounded, instead of following the one whose image we were created to walk in. One guy wrote this as he was just commenting on men. He said, men are easily threatened. And whenever a man is threatened, when he becomes uncomfortable in places within himself that he does not understand, he naturally retreats into an area of comfort or confidence. And, or he does something else. He dominates someone or something in order to feel powerful. Men refuse to feel the paralyzing and humbling horror of uncertainty. A heart that could drive them to trust. A heart that could release in them the power to deeply give themselves in a relationship. As a result, most men feel close to no one, especially not to God. 
and no one feels especially close to them. Something good in men is stopped, and it needs to get moving again. And when good movement stops, bad movement, which, which this guy described as either retreat or, or, or domination, reliably develops. Look, here's what I want to tell you. I, I, God created us in his image. He wanted us to be a picture of who he was over all the universe. And he gave us every tool necessary to do that effectively. He made us in his image. He gave us dominion. He gave us authority. He gave us ability. And he gave us responsibility. And he gave us others that were to uh, be a blessing to us as we were a blessing to them. And he said, walk with me. Understand your role based on your relationship with me. And what happens is that we thought we did need him to do what he created us to do. And so the world that we rule over is now not ruled in goodness and goodness and truth and light and love and righteousness. And the world suffers from it. What men have done when the world gets out of control is one of two things. We either retreat or we move towards domination. What I like to think of is this. There's, there's two primary expressions of um, our brokenness that others will run into. God tells us to dwell, to, to be in the land, to cultivate it, and to produce in it something great. And that takes work, to dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And men who don't want to fail, men who see that because of the way that they dwell, they're not bringing blessing and, and fruitfulness and productivity, will do one of two things. We'll either go to a scorched earth policy and we'll burn the land and say it's the land's fault, and we'll intimidate and we'll dominate and we'll dictate and we'll tell the land to get with it and pick it up or it's going to get worse for them. Or we go, I'm not going to stay around here and be responsible for this and we desert it. And we pull away and we move away. Remember what I talked about? How absent or abusive fathers. And the reason that we've got a broken world is because men are not attentive dwellers. They are absent retreaters, they desert, or they are abusive leaders. They dominate and dictate in a way that does not produce security, love, and fruitfulness. Why do we do it? It's not just society's fault. It ain't just daddy's fault. It ain't just mom's fault. There's a bigger problem. Let's look at some of the stuff I've got down there for you. Even if the circumstances of our home was perfect, and I've already acknowledged that none of us come from a perfect home. None of us. But even if it was, the condition of our heart is not perfect. Every single one of us is dealing with an internal problem. There is a flaw, kind of in a, in a real hokey way. Um, I got this deal I've, I've kept, and it, and it does have some relevance. It was an email, it, it came, you know, subject, recall of humans. Important recall. The maker of all human beings is recalling all units manufactured, regardless of maker year, due to a serious defect discovering in the primary and central component, better known as the heart. This defect is due to a malfunction in the original prototype unit, resulting in the reproduction of the same defect in all subsequent units. This defect has been technically termed subsequential internal non-compliance, more commonly known as SIN, as it is primarily symptomized by loss of regard for the manufacturer's wishes. 
Some of the visible symptoms are A, loss of direction, frequent confusion, foul vocal emissions, amnesia of origin and heritage, lack of peace and joy, selfish, violent, or indifferent behavior, depression, confusion in the mental component. And it goes on to talk about the solution. That's pretty well said. Taking a manufacturer recall. What God has not just done is recalled us in the sense that he's going to say, I'm going to exterminate all these broken units. What he said is, look, I want to make it right. I want to give you a chance to acknowledge that, that leaving me, going the way that seemed right to you, to, to believe that I wasn't good or necessary is the root of your problem. Well, let, me, let me just explain to you the story one more time. Story is that God created us, not because he was lonely. God's never been lonely. He reveals himself as uh, eternally satisfied in himself. That's who God is. He's, he's one in essence, but he's three in person. And, and, he, and he relates to himself in a way that is uh, perfect in love and community and subjection and mutual exaltation. God didn't create us because he was lonely. There's another story at work here. God the scripture says he created us because he was going to reveal something about who he was. So the angelic realm and even those that he created would know who he is and would enjoy who he is. God didn't need to create us because he needed a buddy, but God cannot deny himself. And because God is good and perfect, and one of the things that good and perfect beings are is loving, is God had to create something that he could love and give himself to. Initially, he created the angelic realm, and the angelic realm had the freedom to serve him or to rebel against him, and there was a rebellion, the scriptures tell us. About a third of the angels followed after one particular angel who most theologians believe his responsibility was to reflect the glory of God because God in himself was so wonderful, even the angels that were created to minister to him and enjoy him could not look upon him. And so this one particular angel eventually confused other angels coming to him and seeing the reflection of God's beauty on him. You get this from Ezekiel 14, Isaiah 28, and places like that in Scripture where it talks about this. Actually, the other way around, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And that this angel just said, you know what? I don't think God's necessary. I think I can do this on my own. I think you ought to follow me. I think I can do this better than God. And in the midst of that rebellion, God cast him out of his presence. And so the question was already answered, who is the most powerful? Not Lucifer, but God. But maybe others thought, maybe it's because Lucifer could have done it better than God and he was intimidated. So he's got the biggest stick, but is he the best and the goodest and the finest? And so God created a man in his image. And he put him in a place that we would call paradise, Eden. He gave him everything he needed to prosper, everything he needed to enjoy. Uh, it was a place that was befitting a good God and the people that he created to live in it. And as God looked around, he said it was very good. Why? Not because he was impressed by it, but because that showed, that perfect creation showed his character, that he loves those that he cares for and he he cares well for those he loves everything was as it should be and all he said was look you made in my image are, are going to be perfect creatures one of the things perfect creatures must be able to do is love in order to be able to love you've got to be able to choose so i'm going to let you choose to love me or choose to leave me and i'm going to give you evidence that you should follow me but you're going to have a faith love relationship with me and i'm going to tell you the only thing you don't need to do is eat from the tree of good and evil because you don't need to know what is right or wrong just know that i am good look everything around you testifies to my goodness and if you'll walk with me and follow me 
then this world will continue in perfect beauty. But the day that you leave me, you shall surely die. Corruption and brokenness and horror will enter in. What you're going to find out in this story, gang, is that we believed that we could do it better than God. And there came a system, um, excuse me, there came a moment where we decided to buy a lie, that God wasn't good, his word wasn't true, and disobeying him wasn't that big a deal. And it has led to everything that we've been experiencing since then. That is the narrative of the scripture. And what God did in his kindness and grace is not just only establish that his way is right and true, he's going to reveal that he himself is loving and good and merciful. And so in the midst of the recall of humans before he destroys the now broken model, he's going to make provision for those models to be restored back to what they should be if they will just acknowledge their imperfection. And he gives us all kinds of data every day for us to see the foul emissions and the brokenness that this way is creating and all he says is just acknowledge it return to me I'll make it right I won't wink at your sin I'll personally deal with the cost of your choice I'll make it right and I'll restore you back to what it should be that's the story but until we do that and until we in our brokenness live in continual dependence upon him we're going to continue to live on dependence upon self and every time we do it always drifts towards desertion or dominance which always leads to fear and insecurity confusion in our lives and pain in others we have all been wounded i'm making the case by a common father and a common mother the scripture says that man was to reproduce after his kind. It's the law of creation. That, that um, when God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, what he was saying is you go create other people that walk with me, that know me, that enjoy me, that delight in me, that benefit from the relationship with me. But the second that Adam and Eve in their choice left God, they no longer benefited from the relationship with God. And so Adam and Eve from that moment have created people after their kind, broken people who believe that God is not good, that his word is not true, and that disobeying him is not that big of a deal. That is embedded in every one of our hearts. That is what is called the federal view of Adam's role in human history. What's really interesting, a number of years ago, uh, it's almost now, what is it, about about almost 20 years ago now, Nature uh, and Science magazine wrote an article saying that, that geneticists who studying the foundational systems and formations of life, which is DNA, had, had, had about 10 years earlier found what they call the mitochondrial Eve. They, they found uh, in all of us a certain chromosome that comes from the mother that was, that was consistent with all of us, but they had never found the um, genetic Adam that went with the genetic Eve. And then about 1995, a bunch of people studying came up with this now look it's not true because nature magazine said it and because uh u.s news and world report did a cover article on it because they've done other articles that say just the opposite it's true because it's true it happens to be consistent with the biblical narrative but listen it's a long article but this is the way it, it ends it just it actually early at one point it just says this virtually all modern men are closely related genetically and share genes with one male ancestor and it says this, we're finding that humans have very, very shallow genetic roots, which go back very recently to one ancestor. 
This indicates that there was an origin in a specific location on the globe, and it spread out from there. Isn't that interesting? That's what science is now saying. What I want to share with you is it's not just a genetic ancestry. That, that genetic ancestry is rooted in a rebellion against God that all of us share. Now, unless some of you want to go, hey, man, I don't think it's right that I'm suffering because of what my initial father did. Let me just let you uh, choose for yourself the choices or, or, or uh, go back and think through the choices that you yourself have chosen. How many of you have decided every day of your life that God is good, that his word is true, and have lived in fear to never disobey him? I'm going to tell you the reason you made that choice is because you're part of a broken race. But I will tell you, even as a man in this race has been reunited to God and sees his goodness and see what he has done beyond even what Adam could know, I continue to make the same choice that Adam made, even with more insight than Adam had. But I have a God that is gracious and wants to keep bringing me back. Let's tear through some of these guys. Look what we've got here. Our heritage of dysfunction is a product of our heart more than our home. And our home's dysfunction is a result of our mother's and our father's heart trouble themselves. That's the problem. The result is that the wound of depravity is total in its defect in our lives and the lives of others that we are to love and lead. It's complete and total. Now, total depravity is a... a a phrase is thrown around a lot by theologians. Let me explain what it means. Total depravity doesn't mean that we can't do anything that is good or that, um, that everything that we do is bad. What it means is that we are so completely broken in, in, our, in our state that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to correct our course. Now, this is the most fundamental and essential thing that I'm going to say. You can reject it if you want, but I'm going to tell you the reason that we are struggling as men is because we keep looking within ourselves to correct the problem or to our world, which has been created by broken men to correct our problem. And I'm going to make a case that what total depravity and brokenness means is that unless something outside of us greater than the world that we create intervenes it won't get ultimately better now here's the good news is the god that created you the god that you left the god that is holy and just is also merciful and gracious and even as creating us knowing that we would not choose to love him is going to show us what real love looks like and come back at us and you're going to see there were two atoms there is one who failed in every way a man should fail, and there is one who succeeded in every way a man should succeed. And if you will learn to follow that second Adam, you'll learn what it means to be a man. I'm going to give you the best and greatest and finest picture of a man that ever lived. And it's not going to surprise you when I tell you that he was more than just a man. It was the visible image of God who came to make it right. And I said at the very beginning, you show me the kind of man you admire and it'll tell me everything I need to know about the kind of man that you're going to be. I'm going to give you a model for manhood today. I'm going to give you a solution to the brokenness in your manhood that ultimately is the wound that needs to be healed, that will allow you to forgive your father, love your mother, lead your wife and your kids, and rule and live in your society in a way that you don't in passivity withdraw or in insecurity try to dominate, 
but in kindness and love, with a servant's mindset, with a purpose and cause greater than yourself, you will dwell and bring blessing. That's what a few good men will do. Now watch this. The result is that the wound of depravity is told in our life and the lives of those that we are called to love and lead are affected by it. I was looking at David, uh, David, who was a man who, it says in Scripture, was a man after his own heart. When he left God's will and way, the choices that he made, we find out, caused great destruction in the lives of those that he led. It wasn't just Bathsheba, you know that story, who suffered. It wasn't just Uriah who suffered. All of David's kids did, all of his mighty men did. You can find 85 plus guys that are directly related to David that suffer significantly when David did not lead well. And it wasn't just those 85 that were really close to him. It became the entire nation. That's what always happens. Sin has tremendous consequences that always ripple out beyond what we can ever imagine that it was going to. We are separated from God because of this wound, and we deserve judgment. God who is good doesn't want anything that's going to corrupt or threaten ultimately his goodness. And how many of us, how many of us have heard people say, man, listen, if God created you, if this is the world that God created, if he put you to lead it, and this is his world because you're his man, I don't want anything to do with God. And God loves people. And when folks that are in the way of people understanding his goodness are causing others to hate him, God says, I'm going to judge that. And he is going to judge that. The wages of sin is death, the scripture says. And so every one of us have a bigger problem than just the the weeds in our garden or the anger in our uh, people. We have one that we are culpable to that says, you're going to have to deal with me. You can act like I'm not there. You can try and dismiss me away with your futile speculations. But one day, you're going to deal with me. And so one of the results of our problem is judgment. Part of the judgment is the world that we're living in when we try and live apart from God is a broken world and people don't like us. Women leave us. Children hate us. The world wants to do away with men. But there's even a greater judgment than just brokenness and bitterness today. Another result is that we're bent towards rebellion. And we're bothered by rebuke. We want what's easy for us. We want what exalts us. And you're going to find out that's not what a man pursues at all. And we don't like when people tell us that the way we're living isn't the way to live. We are corrupted in our core to the point that no human agency can provide a cure. Guys, what I want to tell you is that we don't need therapy. We need a rebirth. You know, it's interesting. When the man that I want to hold up for you as the finest man that ever lived came on the scene, other men came up to him and said, we're not like you. Who are you? And how do you roll the way you roll? How do you live the way you live? I want to live the way you live. One man came to him by secret of night and said just that. And Jesus said, here's your problem. The reason you can't live the way I live is because your heart is not my heart. Your heart has left the God that created you. And I follow God. I listen to the Father. I love him. And unless your heart is remade, you haven't got a chance. 
The guy was so confused by that statement, he said, well, how am I going to be remade? I've been trying to do some external things that they kind of cover up my brokenness. And he goes, no, that's not going to do anything. That's just a mask that you're putting over still the horror of who you are. And Jesus said, you've got to be born again. The guy said, well, how am I going to do that? He literally asked, am I supposed to crawl back in my mother's womb? And he said, no. But you can go to the God that you left and find out that he is gracious. And he will create in you a new heart. And I'm here to offer that to you. And I'm here to show you what a man is like. A man doesn't just live for his own comfort. A real man will give his life for others. And I'm going to give my perfect life for your broken life in order that God might still be just and also the justifier of men like you, that you might know that God is good. What kind of God is that? One that you should follow with all of your heart. But our problem is that we're corrupted deeply in our core. We are alienated from God and we are subject to futility. Guys, I want to just take a moment and just do this. I want, to, I want to just take a second and explain to you in an area that just kicks the rear end of more men than anything else I know. And I'm going to give you an example of the futility that comes when you leave God and you become enslaved to sin. I mentioned this a little bit the very first week when I gave you a little picture uh, about how many of us are on a battlefield in this world with our pants down around our ankles while others live nobly. And the thing that I see destroying men, single and married, young and old, like nothing else in our society today, is this idea of pornography. And let me tell you what pornography is a picture of. It's a picture of man understanding that I can't live and lead successfully in a way that would make the woman that I want intimacy and oneness with, the one that, that I'm, I'm to express love towards and receive love from the one that 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 are coming together is is supposed to be a joy in my life and create incredible pleasure because i can't lead effectively there i've got to go somewhere in some imaginary world where i experience pleasure i'm not just talking about the pleasure that comes you know with an orgasm or an ejaculation i'm talking about the pleasure of being wanted and desired where she makes sounds and noises that communicate to you, you please me, you satisfy me, you're what I want, and I'm always ready for you. And because we can't live in a world, in a way with a woman that allows them to respond that way to us, we sheepishly limp off to some fantasy world, and we are men there. And this is the problem with porn. I, don't, I want to just tell you something. God isn't angry at you because you look at porn. You're having to look at porn to have your sexual needs met is the judgment. The fact that you can't be a real warrior, you've got you've to play Dungeons and Dragons to be a, a wizard and a knight, that you've got to go dress up with army gear and go out there with little blanks and fire it and act like you're a real warrior because you can't really compete on a real battlefield and really be a seal that's successful in bringing down evil, so you little play little games. In a sexual way, you can't really love in a way that draws a woman's heart towards you. I mean, how many of us have heard our wives say, listen, I'm not against sex. I'm just against sex with you. Problem is you. I want you to love me. I want to have a real relationship with you. I don't want to service you in a way. You may as well just throw 20 bucks by the bed and just have me lay there until you're done and move on. None of us want that. I was talking to a, 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 a gentleman that was really struggling in this area, and I just said, look, here's the deal. The problem isn't porn your problem isn't your continual enslavement to this action that is a symptom of a greater problem 
you don't know how to love and lead. You don't know what it means to follow after God in all the ways that God wants you to follow after him that's going to allow you to find the satisfaction you want, not in some fantasy, but in the real world. And one of the things I, I have a hard time explaining to single men is that masturbation is not just a single man's problem. Part of the reason that that masturbation continues to be a problem or porn continues to be a problem specifically in the lives of married men is is because we are lazy, self-indulgent. We don't know how to discipline ourselves. We don't know how to live nobly and give ourselves away for something greater than us. We want to tell people how to perform for us, how to give us what we want when we want it, or we're not there enough to cultivate a right response. I I tell them it's like this. Look, there's a reason that most of us go to the... You know, the store to buy milk, then, then go out to the, the field and, you know, care for a cow and protect the cow and grab the cow's udders and milk it and pasteurize it and make sure it's helpful to us. That takes a lot of work. It's a whole lot easier just to run to the store and grab a gallon of milk. And when you're married, if you're given to laziness, you don't know how to lead, how to love, how to care for those in your midst, how to, how to, Love your wife in a way that would have her delight in bringing forth that which brings strength and satisfaction to you. You'll just run over there and grab some milk in the form of porn, get some calcium there, get some satisfaction there. But the problem with porn is you're never really satisfied. You get done with it and you feel guilty, you feel shame, and you realize all you are is a man that's got to believe he's a man that a woman wants. And you wonder how you could ever be a man that a woman wants. Now, I, I use all that because, guys, when you run that direction, what God's saying is, listen, I, I, want, I want you, sex was my idea. Intimacy, delight, a woman loving being with you was my idea. But you're not leading her. You're not dwelling there and cultivating intimacy. You're dominating her in a way that makes her resent you or you're deserting her in a way that makes her not love you and need you. I'm going to teach you how to be a man. Futility. How sad that what we have is a two-dimensional lover. It's not what God intended. One of the results of this is not just futility and death. The wound of depravity demands that we dare not trust in self alone. We've got to look outside. We have to find out what the solution is. And so let's move there right now. The solution is spiritual. It is not psychological or societal. The depraved condition will not be eradicated by education. We don't need just more information. We don't need to be smarter sinners. It's not by environment. How many of us think if I just change where I am, it's going to change who I am? But the truth is your problems follow you. You don't need to move. You need to be remade. The answer is not self-enlightenment. It's not going to come through some inner self-awakening that's going to transform us. It will not be cured by willpower, but only by the grace of the will of God. I want to make that case this morning. Admitting your need is the first step toward healing and restoring your relationship with God. Acknowledging that this world is not as it should be and your world is not as it should be. And that you as king are not leading well and aren't able to bring the hope and satisfaction and peace in your life that you're looking for. We can hide behind our wounds. 
We can make excuses about our society, our daddy, our mom, or whatever else you want to throw in, or we can humble ourselves before our Creator and just say, Lord, I've got a problem. It is in me. I am like my daddy, and my daddy is like Adam who left you. We can follow in the steps of our earth father, or we can follow in the steps of our heavenly father. What God's telling you today, you can choose your daddy, you can choose your Adam, you can choose your tomorrow. Let me just read to you this little great section of scripture which talks about the two Adams that were there, and then we're going to look at it and close. This comes from Romans chapter 5. It says this, when Adam sinned, the original Adam, sin entered the entire human race. He reproduced after his kind. People with a depraved, darkened heart that thought that God was not good, his word wasn't true, disobeying him wasn't that big a deal. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. It's in our, it's in our nature now to sin and die. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given. And there was, uh, when there was no law to break, what he's talking about there is, is after we understood good and evil. And the reason God didn't want us to eat from the tree of good and evil is not because he thought we could really compete with him, but because knowing good and evil, because we are not innately good, we are made in God's image, but we're not God. We know good and evil. We just don't always choose good. Right? Isn't that your problem? I know how to love. I know how to lead most of the time. I just choose not to do it. I know what my wife has made it pretty clear to me after 20 some odd years. This is how you love a woman. This is the way you lead as a servant. This is the way you produce in me the things that you want produced. But often I don't execute on those things. I withdraw and desert, act passively because it's easy or because I don't want to fail in case I can't do it well. Or I just tell her, hey, I'll tell you how we're going to do this thing, and you'll respond the way I want you to, and I can intellectually, emotionally, and physically dominate you and make you do it. That doesn't work out well for me. But I've tried it again and again. And what I would tell you is it's saying here that when men left God, even before God gave a very clear moral law, we had this thing called conscience. We were still violating that conscience. We knew between the sin of Adam and Eve and the giving of the law through Moses, men still died because men still broke the law of conscience that was in them. This is why people have never heard of a Bible are condemned according to Romans 1, Romans 2. Because it says they'll be judged by their own conscience. No man leads and lives the way man knows he should lead others and live. We know the right thing to do. We don't do it. Why? Because there is in us a brokenness that needs fixing healing regeneration and only the god that makes can remake this is what this saying right here it goes on to say yes people sinned even before the law was given and though there was no law to break since it had not been given they all died anyway even though they did not disobey an explicit commandment of god as adam did what a contrast though between adam and christ the adam who was yet to come the second man What a difference between our sin and God's generous gift of forgiveness. For this one man, Adam, he brought death to many through his sin. But this other man, Jesus, he brought forgiveness to many through God's bountiful gift. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of one man's sins. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. But we've got the free gift of being accepted by God, even though we are guilty of many sins. The sin of this one man, Adam, he caused death to rule over us. 
But all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation upon everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness makes all people right in God's sight and gives them life. What's implied here and already been said is, if you turn to him. Because one person disobeyed God, many people became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many people will be made right in God's sight. Man, here's the deal. There is a recall on your dark heart. And God wants to tell you how it can be remade. A real man is a man who lives as God really intended. I already said the solution is to acknowledge that we don't live the way that God wants us to live, that our lives are broken and futile, and that we're given to the way of death. Let me just define real. Real means authentic. Real means as was intended, as was created. No corruption. And there's just a few men that live that way. There was one man that did it perfectly, and that is why Though he had no debt, he could pay a debt he did not have. That we could then have, by God's grace, credit to our account. That we could then say, I want to learn your way. I want to follow you. I want to be like him. And listen, even people that aren't Christians all around this world, you can't find people who speak poorly about Jesus. Everybody loves Jesus. And that's what God wants for you. When the scripture says all men have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what it's saying is that doesn't mean I'm going to smack you because you're not what I made you to be and you make me look bad and I'm embarrassed as a parent. What that's saying is I love you. And when you don't live the way I created you to live, it's not looking good on you and you're not as glorious as you should be and people don't want to be like you. They want to divorce you. They hate you. They wish you would die and they wish that your race didn't exist and what we need to move to is now some gender neutral society because that gender is screwing things up. Sound familiar? God says, that's not what I want. I want you to be this kind of man, the kind of man that everybody loves the kind of man that others say man we could use a few more men like you the kind of men that create blessing now watch this the real man is a man who leads who lives as god really intended so real men reject passivity let's just take a look at adam let me show you how he didn't do it when the woman saw that the tree was good for food it was a delight to the eyes that the tree was desirable to make one wise she went shopping. That's, that's the first sin of woman. Off she goes. It's where they go. I'm going to go find happiness and satisfaction outside of this. She took from its fruit and she ate. She gave also. Now watch. Where was Adam? The very first sin was not that Eve went and took something she shouldn't take. The very first sin is that Adam didn't do what God created Adam to do. Lead her. Love her. Remind her of my goodness. Teach her my word. It says that the woman gave the apple to the man who was right there present with her listening to her in all her vulnerability get um deceived preyed upon lied and seduced and there's adam with his hands in his pocket god says no you're supposed to protect her and adam you didn't do it as a result of that we got all kinds of hurt. 
Contrast that with Jesus. You know what? My, I, I'll tell you, a movie, if you want to watch a great movie, it's the right time of year to you rent Mel Gibson's Passion. And you watch what a man does and, and, and how he does step up. You watch a guy that, that stands in the gap, that breaks the wedge, that plugs the hole. It is Jesus. You watch the beating he takes. You watch the, the, the torture that he's enlisted to. You watch the rejection he experiences, the misunderstanding he endures, and the love that continues. I love the fact that Christ is always in control. He, he says, listen, these don't take my life from me. I lay it down. This is because I'm being overwhelmed. He kept telling his boys, this is what's going to go down. I've come to give my life away because this isn't about me. This is about rescuing those that are hurting. And I, as God, I'm going to show you what I created you to be. A lover, a provider, a protector, somebody who grace and mercy and justice are perfectly blended in. A tender warrior. I love in the garden. I don't know if you guys have studied much about um, warfare recently, but typically it's the armed multitude that tells the unarmed individual what to do, but that's not what happened. In John 18, when a cohort, 600 plus armed special forces with the Roman army show up with this little uh, cohort of individuals that wanted to get at Jesus, and they say, Jesus says to them, what do you want? And they said, we seek Jesus. And he says, I am he. And they all hit the deck. As he revealed who he was, I am God, this is my party, not yours. I was in the temple every day. You didn't arrest me there, why? Because you're cowards. You came and get me when I'm on my knees and you think I'm alone, but I'm never alone. I'm always in control. Now get up, let these men go, and let's carry on what I say it's time to do, which is give my life for other men. And then they beat him, they mocked him. And you watch the way he keeps going to that cross and he despises that cross. What I mean by that is not that he hated it, he counted it as worthless. When you despise something, it matters not to you. He said, bring on the suffering of the cross because what it's going to accomplish is so much greater than the discomfort and miscalculation of me that it will bring. I'm okay. Because what I'm doing is going to make it okay for those I love. Now that is a man. Philippians 2 describes this. says you should be like this. You should be like Jesus. So although he exists in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of a man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And he did it willingly. Real men embrace their role. They are courageous in the face of the challenges of their task. Let me just compare Adam and Jesus. The first Adam, he was called to dwell in that garden, to cultivate it and to keep it, and he didn't do it. He was silent. He was absent. He deserted his role. How about Jesus? He steps right up. And he says, this is not about what I want, this is about what you want. Not my will, but your will be done. You find that Adam doesn't cultivate and love and cherish and honor that which God gave him. And you find that Jesus cherishes and honors and loves that which is broken and doesn't look as it should for him. Real men love those that are given to them. Adam was told to, to cleave to Eve, and he did not. He pointed his finger at her. 
He left her. He said, the woman you gave to me, she's the problem. What did Jesus do? Jesus saw the problem, and he gave his life for it. No greater love has a man than this than to give his life for others. He didn't say the world isn't beautiful. He didn't say that my bride doesn't look like it should. He just said, I'm going to love like I said I would love. Real men love those given to them. Real men lead those given to them. We've already seen that Adam didn't. He abandoned his role. He deserted her. Left her alone in the lurch, but not Jesus. Matthew 4.19 is where Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. There's a blank down there in the bottom. It says, Jesus gives direction and purpose. John 10.11 talks about the fact that the good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. Jesus gives protection and security. John 10.10 says, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. Real men give life and hope. Guys, let me ask you to do this. Let me ask you to go home and ask your kids to write down words that describe who their daddy is. Ask your wife and say, sweetie, I need to know. I mean, I really need to know. What are the words that you would describe me with? What are the adjectives? And if you don't hear words like, you give me protection, you give me security. If you don't hear kids say, Dad, I love you, you're my hero. You give me life. When you're around, it is better. We sleep better here. We are secure here. We're not looking for fleeting things to satisfy us here. We're not entertaining ourselves with a stupid box. Because, Dad, when you're around, life is around. And if we don't hear the kind of things that are on that list on the right, direction, purpose, protection, security, life, and hope, it's because we have not dealt with our wound, or if in dealing with our wound, we have not followed the one that has said, let me teach you how to be a man. Now next week, what I want to do as we wrap this whole thing up, is I'm going to talk about the way that we can do this successfully. And I'll give you a little hint. It's not going to be by trying to do it on your own and through willpower. But let's start with today. And if you're here and you've never acknowledged, you know what, here's my problem, I'm broken. There's a flaw in my character. I come from a long line of rebellion. And I've never really dealt with it. I've never looked outside of myself or outside of my world for help. I need to acknowledge that there is a God that's made himself known. He's lived on this earth and he's done what a man should have done. He's rescued me from the curse that comes from my rebellion against him. He's made it possible for me to return to him through his grace so that I might be rebuilt, restored, regenerated, remade, transformed, both as a one-time declarative act of justification and by a continual process of sanctification, and one day through his decree as we're glorified through Jesus Christ. Do that this morning. We, we, we put back out there again today um, a little card that we want to give to you. And, and guys, let me just tell you, you know, before you leave today, I'd encourage you to fill this thing out and just say, hey, you know, next week we're going to be together one more time and we're going to start to give you opportunities to gather with other men, to process the stuff we've talked about in a way that will enable you to increasingly, through encouragement and reminder and training and help and mutual affirmation, experience what God says we should experience as his men. The grace that comes first through Christ and the grace that then comes through his people. 
So as you leave today, fill that thing out, drop it in there. You might have a group of guys you already come with and you say, hey, I just would love those resources you're going to give out, those questions that we could process so that we can go through on our own. Others of you want to get in a group with some other guys and say, hey, the three of us would love to get with three other guys. That's what that card is for. We'll talk more about that next week. But let me just close with a prayer for you right now. Father, I thank you for these men. The chance we've had to gather together this morning and look very honestly at what the deepest wound in all of us is, and that is a heart that is darkened, that is depraved, that is in rebellion against you. Every one of our rebellion looks differently, but none of our lives look like it should. And you say, Father, the wages of that sin, that wages of that self-love and self-way is death. In our life, in the mighty men and children and wives around us and in our country, in our land. And so we come to you and we just say, we need grace. I thank you that, Father, you are that tender warrior. You are that loving shepherd who wants to rescue us from our own entrapment. Deliver us from the death that we have moved towards. Bring light into our darkness. And so, Father, we receive the gift of Jesus Christ. I acknowledge that he isn't just a man, that he is you rescuing me from my sin and its consequences. And so, Lord, I want what Jesus has done for me to be applied by grace through faith. And I want to follow him. Would you restore in me that which I have lost? Would you teach me to love his ways, to remind myself now continually by the strength of your spirit that you are good, that your word is true, and that walking with you is where life and blessing is found? Will you surround me with other men who can spur me on? And will you use us as then men to rescue others that are still in darkness and serve those that have been wounded by our brokenness and to begin to restore the paradise that we have lost? We thank you for grace. I pray, Lord, for men that this morning for the first time have acknowledged this wound and found the healing for it in the divine physician, Jesus Christ, that they would not leave without just saying in that little, little piece of paper, I need help now to follow this Jesus who is my king. Would you not let us slink back in isolation, but stand up and declare who it is that we want to follow. For your glory and our good, I pray. Amen. We'll see you next week, guys. One more time. Take care.